continue where we were at in John 5. And as we do, I want to maybe give a little refresher from last week. But also I want to admonish you that we can't get in a hurry when we're reading God's Word. Can I get an amen? Because it's very easy to take things for granted. How many times have you read John 3.16? Okay, how many times have you read John uh, 6.23 or Romans 6.23 or, or Romans uh, 3.23 or Romans 5.8? So often once we get a verse memorized, we think we just, we understand it. And, oh, we just file it away and really not think about it because we got that one, right? And the only time we really use it is when we're talking to somebody and we'll throw it out there at them. Kind of like we're throwing darts at a wall and hoping something sticks. Amen? But the gospel is much more than just loading your guns. Getting ready to shoot. Amen? Jesus in this story that we've been reading in John chapter 5 has come to the pool of Bethesda. And we're going to read this again. We only got through verse 9 last time, so we're going to get a little farther this time. Somebody said amen, right? (laughs) So if you would, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, and waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the waters, and whosoever then was first, After the troubling of the waters to step in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. On that same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had not conveyed himself or had conveyed himself away, excuse me, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. 
the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now last week we began this chapter, chapter 5, with the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And we asked this question that is the fundamental question of the gospel. Wilt thou be made whole? The question of the gospel is this. To the lost and dying world around us, here's Christ. Would you be made whole? Is that not the gospel message? Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Now, we talked about what the gospel message wasn't. The gospel message isn't, hey, if you send me $10, I'll send you this prayer cloth, and you'll get your money, and you'll get all the things that you ever want, and you'll get your healing, and never once is Jesus glorified in that. The gospel isn't, hey, come to Christ, and all your prayers will be answered, and you'll get everything the way you want it, and everything will be fine, and you'll never have a, a care in the world. It'll just be like... Uh, fat naked angel babies floating on clouds with hearts and your whole life will be rainbows and sunshines and little skittles falling from the sky. None of that's the gospel either. The gospel is this. You're lost and Christ came to save you. You're lost in sin and sin's only cure is Christ. The question of the gospel confronts every one of us with this question. The question forces us to see ourselves and our need, and it brings us to the only source, the only waters that can heal our lost condition, our broken state. Christ is our hope. Christ is our only remedy, the only remedy for sin that cripples and kills the human race. Only in Christ is there life. Only in Christ can you, you find life. Only, only Christ can bring life. Only in Christ can a dead soul find life. And as we continue this narrative, we're going to see the Jews are blinded to this very source of life that stands right in front of them. They're blinded to the source of life standing right in front of them. Those lost and blinded in darkness do not comprehend the light. Nor can they. As the Lord later on says, he says, you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I have said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's in John 10, 26 and 27. You see, when I look at this story of this crippled man that's healed, there's several things that jump off the page at me, and this isn't in my notes, so this is all free, okay? There's several things that jump off the page at me. Jesus Christ comes 
and finds him. Okay? And I know every one of us, when we came to the Lord, we had this mistaken idea that we found him. Okay? But he wasn't lost. You were. He found you. He sent people your way to preach the gospel. He sent that one lady that just bugged you and bugged you and bugged you till you came to church. He sent that one man who just annoyed you every day at work that would bring a scripture or say, hey, I'm praying for you. And when you ended up in the church, he sent that preacher with a message that all of a sudden your dead heart, by the word of God, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There's not anyone that ever got saved in Jesus' name without first hearing about Jesus' name. Amen? That's how salvation comes. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How will they hear if it, unless a preacher is sent? Amen? This is Romans chapter 10. Jesus finds this man. This man is trusting in this pool to heal his condition. Now, I told you last week, this pool could not have worked, okay? Let's notice what the narrative says. There was a multitude laying all around this pool. There's five porches, five covered areas. And there's a multitude, it says great multitude, okay? Apparently, this pool didn't work, okay? If it worked, it would not have a great multitude of people laying around it that are halt and lame and blind and withered. It would not have them laying there. Amen? Second thing that really jumped out to me is that Jesus only healed that one guy. He didn't go down to the pool and heal everybody. Okay? Now, if you're in a modern-day Pentecostal church, you're going to walk in and everybody says, hey, you want healing? You're going to come up front and they're going to wave their hand like this and everybody's going to fall over Poof, everybody's healed, right? Wrong. This also tells us that God always has his plan. I brought a little book with me. I don't know if any of you like reading like I like reading, but I like reading. This little book is a commentary from the 50s on the book of John. And about this miracle, it says that this miracle testified about Christ's deity. You see, God is not constrained by human beings. God doesn't come down and take counsel from you to ask you what he wants to do in your life. How many of you have had things in your life that happened that you would rather not have happened? Let's be honest. We've all had things happen in our life that we, if it was up to me, it would not have happened. Amen? Now, on the same hand, there's all kinds of things that happened in your life that you wish wouldn't have happened, but you did those things, right? Can I get an amen on that? 
Because we all do things and mess up, right? But this man had made a decision to trust in this pool, to trust in that water, to trust in this fable. And Jesus comes down and asks a question. Wilt thou be made whole? And look, I know everybody goes, well, sure, everybody wants to be made whole, right? It doesn't seem that way. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that comes into the world. That men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Amen. The human condition is not to run into the light. The human condition is to run away from the light because we're all messed up. This man, Jesus confronts him with this question, wilt thou be made whole? And then he gives him a command. Take up your bed and walk. It's very important that we understand there's a progression here. First, Jesus awakens this man's mind to the fact that there's a possibility he could be made whole. And then he gives him a command. And then he tells him, go and sin no more. Amen. This is the gospel in a whole story. It's in a narrative where we can see it, where we can pick it apart, where we can look at it. Amen. Because coming to Christ, although salvation is 100% free, you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Romans 8, uh, Romans 2, 8 and 9, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast. But this same salvation still costs you because Jesus said, let anyone who follows me first count the cost. Amen? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Those are all things said by Christ. Those are all things about being his disciple. Amen? So let's get back to the narrative. Verse 9b, okay? Verse 9b, you're going to go, what, what is verse 9b? I don't see no 9b in my Bible, Kevin. Where's that at? Well, it's the very last statement, okay? If you have an ESV or an NIV, it's going to look something like this at verse 9. It's going to say, uh, Jesus said unto him, get up, take thy bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took his bed and walked. Now the very last portion here says, now that day was the Sabbath. Okay. And this is the portion of the text that we're going to deal with is the Sabbath, what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath, and then his response to the man. Okay. Now this Verse 9, the very end, where it says, Now that day was the Sabbath. And then verse 10 says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, I want to point something out here. The Jews are going beyond what the law says. Okay? We're going to look at it. But verse 10 in John 5 says, So the Jews said to him, said to the man who was healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. 
Why did they say that? Why do you think they said, hey, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed? They were giving extra biblical instructions. Right. It was part of rabbinical tradition. Now, the law says to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We're going to go look at that. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't know where Exodus is, it's right after Genesis. Okay? So it's the second book of the Bible, chapter 20. We're going to read verse 8 through 11. Now, verse 8, it starts, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is very clear. It's, not, it's telling you you're going to do all your work. Amen? You're going to do your work. I want to clarify something, okay? When you go to work, what do you do? Huh? Well, you work. But you have a specific job. What is, okay, Mike, you go and build airplanes, right? Kyle, what do you build? Uh, I polish stainless. Hey, you what? Polish stainless. Oh, he polishes stainless steel. Huh? You used to tear stuff up? Oh, you do. Okay. The point is, when we go to work, we're doing our vocation, which what? earns us money. Back in those days, they were doing things to earn money, but they are also going to the field to plant, to harvest, to weed out weeds in the garden, whatever they had to do to provide for themselves. Do you understand that money wasn't the average, the currency was not in circulation, really, okay? They had money, but food and animals and livestock were actually their currency that mattered the most, right? So they would go to work. Now, I want to ask you a silly question, but it's going to prove my point. So let me, let me ask you, if you're on the Sabbath day, when you go home here in a little while, you're going to go home, and you may sit in the recliner, and you may sit there for a minute, and you might go, um... I'm kind of thirsty again. I'm going to go get a drink. Now, in the Hebrews, the way, the way the Jewish people were writing extra biblical rules, they were saying, okay, well, it says you can't work. So anything that resembled what they did at work, they started making rules against. So you couldn't carry a cup of coffee from this house to the next house. You couldn't carry a rug from this house to the next house. Even though it's really not work. Maybe it's somebody else's rug and you're taking it back to them. Maybe it got dirty and you're just moving it. Those things ain't work. 
They're not like you're ignoring God to go and do your vocation. It's not like we're going to say, well, Sunday doesn't matter. We're all going to work on Sunday like America did quite a while ago. Right? I think definitely America has been guilty of ignoring the Sabbath. I think I, in my own time, in my own way, have been guilty of ignoring the Sabbath. But this man carrying a mat is not work. He's simply taking his mat back home. And he was following Christ's command. He was told to do it. Now, you think, well, how can they get so far off of Scripture and what Scripture's saying about work? Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 because Jeremiah, it, now everybody knows Jeremiah is a prophet, right? Okay, Jeremiah is a prophet. So when we see Jeremiah speaking, Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord, a prophecy unto Israel, right? Can I get an amen on that? Jeremiah 17, we're going to start at verse... 21. And I want to start right there for a very good reason, okay? <clears throat> Let's start at 19. Why not? Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out in all the gates of Jerusalem and say, Hear the word of Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, all of Judea, and all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it into the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your house on the Sabbath day. Or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instructions. Wow. Let's keep reading just for a little longer. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burdens... By the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it. Then there shall enter up. Uh, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on thrones of David, riding in chariots and on horses and on their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of, Jeru inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. Now, we know that this prophecy was already broken. Can I get an amen? Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, I will make a new covenant with my people Israel, and it will not be like the old covenant. Amen? I, I get really tired of hearing people say, Well, the new covenant, it, you know, it's a new covenant, but it, it's, you know, we still follow the Mosaic patterns, and we still follow the Abrahamic covenant, and we still follow, no, we don't. No. Not when 
the Lord says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And then Jesus Christ, we just celebrated communion, right? We just remembered the body and the blood of Christ. Now, if you'll remember Christ's words on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Well, what new covenant was he talking about? Jeremiah 31, 31. I will make a new covenant with my people Israel. It will not be like the covenant that I gave them when I took them up out of the land of Egypt. Amen? So if it's not like that covenant, it's a different covenant, it's a new covenant, we understand now. Jeremiah's prophecy was already fulfilled. Israel broke the Sabbath. Israel was destroyed and carried off into Babylon, right? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Lamentations, the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah setting outside of the city gates of Jerusalem while all of the inhabitants and all of the temple relics, the Ark of the Covenant, everything is being carried off to Babylon. And those who were not carried off were killed. The realities of this new covenant that we are under doesn't change these Jews' misconception of this verse. Because this verse says, no burden, do no work. You're not separating the two. You can't say, well, it's a little burden, so, you know, this coffee cup's just too heavy, so you can't carry it. You need a smaller cup. or you're... That's the kind of ridiculousness that the Pharisees and the Jews were doing at the time. Like, I couldn't put the, uh, 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 an extra coat on, or I couldn't put an extra cloak on, or I couldn't carry a, a stick with me to help me walk from an old person because it's a burden. And you're carrying something. You got to talk loud. I can't hear you. By Jewish law, they had to cook. They had, Now, if you were a law-abiding Jewish citizen, the law did make a stipulation that you weren't to cook certain things on the Sabbath. So you had to do all your cooking. But that's not rabbinical training. That's actually in the scriptures, Okay. This not carrying his mat didn't apply the way they were applying it. He's not working. This isn't something he's laboring to do. It's a mat. It's, when it says bed in the King James, it's a very poor word for what's actually there. It's probably a straw mat that you can roll up and just carry with you really easily. It's like a, a cowboy's throw blanket that they put on they, that bedroll on the back of a cowboy's saddle. You just roll it up and take it with you. It's not heavy. It's not burdensome. It's not work. What's that? Yeah, it's not a box spring mattress that he's carrying with him, okay? It's not even a cot. You know, we've seen movies where they, they act like it's a cot, you know, with wooden posts. It's nothing like that. It's a mat. It's a, a bedroll, Okay. But why does it seem like they're so stuck on this idea that you can't carry anything on the Sabbath day? I want to read a little note from the ESV study Bible. It says this, 
Nothing in the Old Testament specifically prohibits such an innocent activity as carrying one's own bedroll on the Sabbath day. And they give you Genesis 20, verse 8 through 11, which we already read, I mean, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, where we saw the commandments given. But the man was violating later Jewish traditions that had deviated that had uh, developed hundreds of uh, minute little details and burden rules about what kind of work was prohibited, including a code that forbade carrying an object from one domain to another. Nevertheless, Jesus does not defend himself by getting into a rabbinic discussion on the nature of the work. Rather, he claims he is working just like God, verse 17, and hence is, as the synoptic gospels teach us, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I want to deal with this for just a second. You understand that when this man gets accused of breaking the Sabbath, and then they go to Jesus and say, hey, did you tell that guy to carry that on the Sabbath day? Let's look at Jesus' response to them, okay? Jesus' response can be found in verse 17, and I want you to go there with me. He says, uh, it says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus negates their argument by saying, my father's at work right now, so I'm at work. Now, people go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. You've got to understand the fact that he called God his father right there. They understood it as he is saying he's God. He's making himself equal with God. And John, just for your clarification, adds a commentary verse in here that says, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amen? Now what that says in your Bible? Now what it says in your Bible? It's in there. Verse 18 is the qualifying verse that when Jesus is saying, my father's working, so I'm working, we read this statement, and we don't understand it in English, okay? In English, we're like, that doesn't make any sense. First of all, in English, it doesn't sound like a full sentence, does it? My father's working, so I'm working. It sounds like something's left out, right? To us in English, it sounds like a very broken sentence, okay? But in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, it's going to be a full sentence, and the understanding is that you're saying God is working, and I'm working too because he's my father. People all the time who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, miss this very fact that John says the Pharisees understood that Jesus was making himself equal with God. Amen? And then we open all kinds, of ball, uh, uh, all kinds of a big ball of wax with the whole fact that there's Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're all one. Right? Jesus said, I and my Father are one. But we know for a fact that it was not 
Father God that died on the cross, right? It was Christ the Son. We know for sure that it wasn't Father God or Christ the Son that came back on the day of Pentecost. It was the Holy Spirit. Amen? Matter of fact, he said, we will send him. Right? Why is everybody, oh, I wonder if the Holy Spirit is a, is a boy or a girl. Well, Jesus said, we'll send him. Jesus called him a him. Okay? So if Jesus called him, a, called him a him, I'm calling him a him. Okay? Not a it, not a thing, but a him. But when he, the spirit, the comforter comes, he will guide you into all truth. Right? Those are all the words, the nouns used to describe the spirit of God. He, him. Amen? But this story where Jesus is talking about the Sabbath and how these Pharisees are struggling and straining at what this guy's doing is very telling. If you want, and this is for your own benefit, I wrote it down just so you could write it down. If you want to go look at all the verses where Jesus talks about being the Lord of the Sabbath, you can go and you can write these down, go look them up on your own. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through Mark 3, that's chapter 3, verse 6. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 17. Luke 14, verse 1 through 6. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 14. And these are all instances where Jesus are doing is doing things on the Sabbath and even claims to be the Lord of the Sabbath. you got to understand something, and we're going to get there here in just a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm, I'm building this up to a crescendo, okay? We're going to get there, and you're all going to say, Whoa, man, I'm just glad we got to the top of that mountain when we're done, okay? But Jesus grounds his right to work on the Sabbath day to the fact that his Father is working. Amen? When we understand that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, we understand one thing for sure. Jesus' will is no different than the Father's will. It isn't like Jesus thinks about your life one way and the Father thinks about your life another way and then the Spirit, he's got his whole other ideas about your life. No, they all agree, amen? There's, there's no division among them. Not, the, the son is never going, well, I think we ought to do this. And the father going, well, I think we that's in our lives. I bet you can't even agree with yourself half the time with what you want to do. How many of you got up this morning and argued with yourself about what you were going to put on? <laughs> Amen? Come on. Father God, Son God, and the Holy Spirit God do not do that. Amen? Jesus said, I have come to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Remember, we read that in John chapter 4. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we find out at the end of that chapter that the Word is Jesus Christ, and that's who they're talking about. Amen? Understanding this to the best of our ability helps us 
to understand Jesus not simply as performing miracles like a magician. He's not a magician walking around just going, poof, you're healed, poof, you're healed. He's not like Gene, you don't rub his lamp and he just does, does whatever you want. Yeah, I almost messed that all up. But the problem is he's God in the flesh. Isaiah said that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So when you understand, I'm going to get ahead of myself, okay? I'm going to do it. I'm forgetting my notes. I'm getting ahead of myself. If you understand that the one that spoke the world into existence, the one that when Genesis records these words, in the beginning, the, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. It was Jesus Christ speaking. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by Him. All things were made through Him. Nothing has been made that was made without Him. Because He created all things. And it is this same person that comes and asks this man, Wilt thou be made whole? Notice that he didn't wait for a response. The man just said, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. And Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed, walk. The man didn't argue. The man didn't, oh, I don't know if I can. The man didn't go, well, you know, if I lay here long enough, I might feel like I can get up. You see, when Christ really speaks to the dead, they really get up. You know, there was a, there, there, I, there's been many sermons on this, and I don't, I'm not here to preach it, okay? But when Jesus was standing outside of the tomb of Lazarus in, in, in John chapter 11, he had to specifically say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he would have just said, come forth, all the graves would have opened. And everybody would have gotten up because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the only one that can give life. When you understand this is the man that's telling you he's the Lord of the Sabbath, when you understand that this is the man saying, my father is working, so I'm working, it all makes sense when you put it together that Jesus is not just a man, but God in the flesh there's no other we call it the incarnation right the angel came to Joseph and said behold don't uh, don't don't be afraid to take Mary as thy wife because the thing that is born of her is born of the Holy Spirit and he shall be you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin and then Matthew gives us a commentary and says this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You see, this Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Wasn't just a rabbi like these Jews who were focused on the law and focused on their rabbinical teaching and straining at a gnat, swallowing a camel like when John the Baptist told them that. You strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel. He said, you forget the weightier things of the law and you strain at little things. What were the weightier things of the law that he named? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Amen? These men did not even love this man enough to rejoice with him that he was healed after 38 years of coming to this pool and seeing this man laying there. You know they all knew his name. You know they all knew where he stayed. You know they all knew where he laid his mat every day when he came to this pool and laid beside it day after day after day after day for 38 years. And they did not care enough to rejoice with their brother who had been saved. They were so soured by false religious piety. Their focus was only on the rigors of ritual and rules. Let us not lose sight of rejoicing with those whom the Lord himself seeks out and saves. Let us not lose sight of that. Verse 11, this man gives Jesus gives the response to the Pharisees. He says, the man who healed me, he's the one that said to me, do this. Verse 12, their question, who's this man? Verse 13, the man did not even know who Jesus was. Notice what verse 13 says. Let's go read it. Verse 13, he says, now the man who had been healed did not even know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Jesus didn't even tell him who he was. He just healed him. Opened his eyes. Told him he could be made well. Told him, take up your bed and walk. This speaks to the sovereign work of the Son of God in this healing. This man was not healed because of anything in and of himself, but by the man who said to him, take up your bed and walk, he believed because the man who spoke the worlds into existence spoke life into his very soul. That's what happens to every person that ever comes to faith in Christ. People all the time, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll believe in Jesus later on. I'll believe in Jesus later on. Uh, maybe next year. Maybe when I'm older, okay? Look, I'm praying you do when you're older, okay? But we don't know if we got tomorrow, okay? The problem is you might not get older. Do you know how many funerals I did this week? Two, okay? Neither one of them were over 60 years old. Neither one of them. The realities is that I have done funerals for 11-year-olds, 
22-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, but I have not done a single funeral for a 90-year-old, and I've done a lot of funerals, a lot. The realities that most human beings in the United States live, if you're a woman to 77 years old, average. 74 years old if you're a man, average. Every day you pick up a newspaper, you can look at that newspaper and you'll see 45, 50, 60, 30, all over the board. Why? Because people don't know how much time we have. I don't care what kind of health you're in. I don't care how good you feel. You can, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, you do not, tomorrow is not promised to nobody. The reality is, young people, just had the young people getting a wreck. The young people I know, they made it. Praise God. But I know a lot of young people who've gotten wrecks that didn't make it. I know a lot of young people for no apparent reason at all just gone. My brother-in-law, a year younger than me, woke up, felt sick, went throw up in the bathroom, died, cardiac arrest right there. 41 years old. The reality that we don't have any choice about our own life, how it ends, when it ends, tells us we are not in control and we walk around in an illusion as if we are. We all, we all say we, we believe God's in control, but we really don't live our life like God's in control. We live our life ignoring the fact that today, right now, could be the moment. Amen? But the only way anybody gets saved is when God opens their heart, speaks into their life, says, wake up. Right? How did Adam come to life? Adam was formed by the very hands of God, but he was not alive until God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Then Adam became a living soul. And it's not one person in this room. That if God ceased working, the breath of God would be sucked right out of this room, out of every single soul like that. So when Jesus said, my father is working even now, so I'll work. This is what he's talking about. Verse 13, we see not only that this man didn't know who Jesus was, Jesus began this conversation and the man had no idea who he was. That's how we all do. That's how we all meet Christ. None of us know Christ. We just don't wake up and know him when we're babies. We just don't, you know, we just don't walk around as lost people knowing him. You come to know him when he finds you, when he saves you, when he redeems you. 
and you're faced with that question, wilt thou be made whole? First of all, I didn't know I was broke. Did you? No. You didn't know you were broke. You were just broken. You were lost. You were in the dark. You didn't know. places in your life where you have to trust God. Amen? This is what this man's being faced with. Verse 14. Jesus ends very oddly with this conversation. He says, Jesus finds him again and says, see, you are well. And then he says, do not sin no more or else something worse is going to happen. Right? Now, this may imply that this man's suffering was due to sin. Now, that doesn't mean all suffering is due to sin. You can go to John 9, 1 through 5. Jesus, there's a man brought to him, and he said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? He said, Nobody sinned. It has nothing to do with sin but that the Son of God may be glorified. you got to understand that God allows some things in your life so that he can get the glory out of helping you. I did want to end with this admonition, though. John 5, 14. Go and sin no more unless something worse happens to you. Be sure that this verse does affirm that sin brings its consequences and it should be warned against. Here the Lord graciously warns this man of sin's consequences. Even before the cross, Jesus was loving, showing grace and concern for those whom he came to save. And he was warning them against sin. Sin only has one outcome. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Somebody said praise the Lord. The wages of sin often exceed our ability to possess the the ability we possess to pay for that sin we are utterly incapable of balancing the scales of sin let us heed the words of the savior would you be made whole because here's the problem with modern the modern gospel, and I'm closing, okay? I'm, look, I'm closing. I'm seriously closing. I'm closing my Bibles right now so you know I'm closing. The problem with the modern gospel is this. In one hand, they would offer you salvation completely free, and in the other hand, when you get saved, they're going to try to tell you, no, you got to keep working on it, because if you don't, you'll lose it. This isn't the gospel. That is not the gospel. 
Does Christ say go and sin no more? Yes. But I was not saved by my own righteousness. And I will not be kept by my own righteousness. I will be saved by Christ's righteousness. I will be kept by Christ's righteousness. Now any working or doing good that I do is only to bring God more glory. Because sin's wages are not mine to pay. My pockets are not deep enough. My arm is not strong enough. I have nothing so valuable as to pay for my own sin. If righteousness could be gained by the law, in other words, if righteousness could be obtained by doing good things, then Christ died for nothing, the Bible says. He came to set you free from sin. He came to free you from the bondage of sin. And how we come to this understanding is the same way this man came to his understanding. When we're forced to answer the question, would you be made whole? Remember that old song? Would you be free of your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. See, that question is the gospel question. But we're so busy worried about our health and the things around us to not even realize that we're trapped in sin. And that the only way of salvation is for Christ to free you. The Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. This message about this man being healed at the pool of Bethesda is only the message of Christ. Whom he set free. This man who he spoke right into his life. The man just gets up. Takes his bed and walk. How many of you today. Have been like the armies of Israel. Standing on top of Mount Carmel. Wavering between two decisions. Joshua said how long will you halt between two opinions. Either God is God. Or Baal is God. If, if God's God, then serve him. If Baal's ba God, serve him. And then we got that famous verse, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every Christian has to make up their mind. Upon believing in Christ, first of all, wilt thou be made whole? Yes. Then we have to be moved to action to live out our faith. And then we have to wage the war against our flesh during our sanctification. Amen. Stand with me if you could to your feet.
We're going to pray over the food we're about to partake of. But before we do, I just want to ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. Father, we ask you this morning that you would help us as we have unpacked little bit by little bit this verse of scripture, Lord. Understanding the great need that we have to come to Christ with all of our problems, with all of our burdens, with the need that we have to answer that fundamental question, would we be made whole? Lord, if there's anyone that is in this room or watching on Facebook or listens to the podcast, God, if they have been wavering between what they should do and how they should go and what decision they should make, God, I pray that today they would choose Christ. Lord, that their hearts would be moved by the Spirit of God to call upon you that they may be saved. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, we pray, God, that you would help us as we love people and spread the gospel, that we understand as you have been so gracious and patient and merciful to us, God. Let us be merciful and gracious and patient with others that we might glorify you and win others to your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would bless the food that we're about to receive, the fellowship that we're about to have, that you'd be glorified in it as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 